to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. And welcome back to lovely, albeit a little humid, Austin, Texas. And we are your hosts for Real Estate Coaching Radio, Tim and Julie Harris. Julie, welcome to today's radio show. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Busy as always over here, but it's going to be a great show. I think something that every single listener can take something from and instantly implement. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Your topic, actually, you're, you thought of the show title name today. I thought that was great, too. The conventional wisdom in, you know, basically a lot of, uh, I would say, business books and maybe some seminars and things like that, is you're supposed to fake it until you make it. And so Julie's right. subject title or her, her concept is basically is that you're not faking it if you have confidence because the very thought of faking it until you make it is in direct conflict with a lot of your sense of integrity, which makes perfect sense to me. In other words, a lot of you guys won't fake it until you feel confident and competent with the content. In other words, unless you know the market, unless you know what to say and how to say it, unless you're experienced enough to, you know, basically not feel like you're lying to someone and being unethical. And I have mad respect for that. That's just Julie. It makes perfect totally. sense. So the, whole, so the conventional wisdom that you're supposed to fake it until you make it, internally, that is a massive conflict for, <laughs> totally. I guess. Like you're supposed to BS yeah. people until you make money. What? And, and a lot of you guys yeah. feel that way. So we know as, you know, reality-based coaches, as many of you like to call us, and I appreciate that, that you won't fake it till you make it, which means you might not make it that fast. So what's the resolution to that? Well, that's what today's show is about, is giving you some tools and techniques and guidelines and some rules to help you be better at your conversations with prospects and clients and even with your own family and your friends and people in your center of influence so that you don't have to feel like you're being fake and yet you're still moving things forward. And this applies to conversations for everyone, no matter where they are in their mm-hmm. careers. Those of you guys who are brand new in real estate and those of you who are at you know, the, basically the zenith of your careers, it still applies because you're going to be in situations on a regular basis where you're not necessarily – well, hopefully you're going to be in situations <laughs> on a regular basis where you don't necessarily know how to – know the resolution ahead of time. In other words, you're challenging yourself. So if you're in a situation where you literally are having the same conversations day after day after day and you're not challenging yourself to learn new markets, to learn more about essentially what the buyer trends are, I'll tell you, guys, here, this is an aside, and we'll get to Julia's Julie great email she wants to read, um, and then we'll get to her incredible outline, which I think all of you guys will love. Julie and I do what we practice what we, what we preach, and we are really studying the economy right now. It's something that we've always read books about, but we've relied mostly on other people's opinions. And so Julie and I, and and Real Estate Coaching Essentials clients and all of our other coaching clients, I'm going to be putting a series of uh, videos on Real Estate Coaching Essentials in a special section just specifically for those of you who want to deep dive into this economic stuff. One of the things that, well, a lot of you guys met us originally about 10 years ago when Julie and I accurately predicted that the real estate market was going to blow up. And this was really in late 2006, early 2007, where we started seeing definite signs 
that the market was going to collapse. And being that we sold real estate, <laughs> novel, I know, for a real estate coach, because most real estate coaches have never sold real estate before. I don't understand that one either. But being that we sold real estate in Columbus, Ohio, where there was never really, though it is not like that now, there's actually quite a few hot, park, uh, hot markets in Columbus now. But when we sold real estate, it was always kind of just slow. And you generally didn't really have any appreciation on your house. It just essentially kept up with inflation if you were lucky. Even while the rest of the real estate uh, world was in a huge boom, Columbus, Ohio was not. It was just a normal market. And guess what? That's how 90% of the country is. 90% of the country is a nice, stable, keeping up with inflation type real estate market. And guys, there's a difference between inflation and appreciation. So when you say, for example, you know, agents in Columbus used to say, well, houses here appreciate 3% per year. Well, I guess, but the reality of it is, is if the rate of inflation is roughly 3% per year and houses, you know, inflate 3% per year, is that truly appreciation? Wouldn't appreciation be, by definition, something that outpaces the inflation rate? But that's an aside. So what Julie and I have been doing is we've been studying the, the essentially uh, looking for early economic indicators that there's going to be another slowdown. The indicator that we had before the reason that we were able to predict that there was going to be a huge uptick in underwater mortgages back in 06 was because of you guys. You guys were telling us what, your, what was happening in your marketplaces. And, and we have thousands of coaching clients, and we've had, I don't even know how many, you know, tens of thousands of conversations and hundreds of thousands of coaching calls. And so I would hope over all those, you know, words being uh, passed back and forth that we'd learn a few things, and we did, and so were our coaches, and so does everyone else that's working for us. And they, and they report back. And I'm going to tell you guys, the reason that Julie and I are really deep diving into all this economic stuff now, and again, I'm going to give you guys access to the same information we've been studying. It's going to be on Real Estate Coaching Essentials. is because we are starting to see uh, those early warning signs again, just like we did in 06. But we're not seeing them in the same way. So that's the reason we don't understand them, to be honest with you. We're starting to see things that from a uh, real estate, it, it, it's not going to be, What's happening now does not – what's going to maybe happen in the overall economy will be a global event, and it does not appear that it's going to be just basically focused on real estate like it was before. Real, and it was easy for us to predict it before because of what we do for a living, right? We're real estate people. That's what we – you know, we bleed real estate like a lot of you guys do. So we could see it. You know, we could see it way on the horizon from, again, talking with our coaching clients. Coaching clients were saying, you know, we watch key markets, Miami. We watch key markets like uh, Las Vegas, believe it or not, certain parts of California, East Coast. So we had key markets that we would be studying, um, you know, not formally, but enough to know what the inventory was going on in these markets. And we saw that the markets were being erratic. They, they were, this was back in 06, 07. There were huge seller markets, and all of a sudden they swung really quickly to being buyer's markets and then swung back to being seller's markets. And then guess what they did? They swung back to being buyer's markets, and they stayed there. Well, when we saw the market inventory sell off and then build back up again, that's when we knew there was a problem. That shows that there was a lot of uncertainty. And then in Southern California, we started seeing things. Basically, what we did is all of our coaching clients, we had them keep track for six months where all the buyers were getting their financing. And for six months, it changed dramatically. The mortgages went from normal mortgages, and then all of a sudden, basically, uh, they all were subprime. Even great buyers were doing subprime loans. And that's when we just had a feeling, being that when we sold real estate, we had to deal with short sales. We had to deal with distressed sales. We had to deal with all of that. 
And so that experience we were able to bring to our coaching clients and then the national market, and that's the reason that we led the pack when it came to showing the uh, nation's agents how to do short sales. We were the first trainers to do that. That's ancient, ancient, ancient history. But what I'm telling you now is without a doubt we're uh, essentially going to have some other sort of economic uh, event and I'm not really sure the ramifications of it. We, and I don't want you guys to worry about it or freak out about it, but we are going to be posting some information on it for our coaching clients, which is going to be on Real Estate Coaching Essentials over the next week or so. Um, and, if, and you know what would be great, and we need to do this, Julie, we need mm-hmm. to start having a report that we formally publish that gathers information about market trends and that we get it directly from our coaching clients because nothing's going to be better uh, in terms of information than that. I mean, I'll... Yeah, that's what we should start doing that and then publish it Mm -hmm. so you guys can have access to the same data we do when we have it. Generally speaking, you guys, through your MLS and through your own intuitive gut feelings when you're out in the marketplaces, when you're talking to buyers, when you're talking to sellers, you guys need to learn to trust your instincts because you actually will be more accurate Mm -hmm. than any of the prognosticators on any of the financial news channels. Nine times out of ten, because you guys are the very leading edge of the leading edge of what's actually happening in your marketplaces. And right now, most of you are experiencing unbelievably strong springs, and you're having incredible, you know, uh, it's still a great seller's market, and everything's looking great. Julie and I's job um, as your coaches is to look on the horizon and, you know, hope for the best but prepare you for the worst. So in any event, that's what, why am I telling you this? Because Julie and I intentionally put ourselves in a place where we can absorb new information, where we can expand our thinking so that we don't become complacent in how we approach things. That way, when we give advice, we're not faking it. When we're giving you guys information on the radio show, we're not faking it. We've actually done our homework. In this case, I don't even know how many hours we'll have invested in this by the time we're actually feeling more comfortable being able to sort of give you an indicator of what's happening over the next 24 months, probably a couple hundred hours at least. You know, and that doesn't make us experts, but it allows us to form an opinion that's hopefully an informant opinion and then giving you that information so you can make your own strategic plans going forward. But anyway, that's going to be information we'll be putting on the website. And, Julie, so it is interesting that this industry some, does seem to be such a proponent of faking it until you make it. I mean, that's something that even to this yeah. day people say, and it is in essence. Isn't it in essence when you hear someone saying that? Aren't they just basically telling you to lie? Basically, Yeah. Which we're not down with, as, no. you know, people that hopefully have good ethics and try and be strong leaders for all of you guys. So, yeah, it's okay if you if the hair on the back of your neck kind of stands up when you hear that whole fake it till you make it thing. Now, I think that there's some element of truth that you, you do, you know, there's a little bit of that, but kind of a different spin, right? So in terms of putting yourself into situations that maybe you're not super ultra comfortable with, and you kind of feel like you're acting like you're more comfortable than you are, of course there's an element of that. But to actually lie to people and make stuff up and feel like you have to BS people just so you can be successful, no, absolutely not. You just have to have what I would call kind of like some survival tips, tricks, methodology, rules that you live by that protect your own ethics and your standards and make it so that, yeah, you can be uncomfortable without being fake if that makes sense. It's kind of a weird thing to try and explain, but I think people get it. Well, Julie, you, you explain it in your notes today that we're going to present here in a second, but before we do, do you have an email or something you want to share about a client? Well, I just wanted to share one of our newest great uh, coaching enrollees, and 
In this case, I'm going to actually leave her name out, and you'll understand why in a second, but she's in uh, New York City. And this is kind of a, a, an interesting profile. I just wanted to share because we take care of lots of different types of coaching clients. So sometimes I like to pull out a, just kind of a profile. This gal says that she feels helpless right now. This is why she signed up for coaching. Feels helpless, knows that she needs accountability, needs somebody to give that kick in the butt, She's an avid reader, constantly studying, almost to the point of analysis paralysis, so I think that's very introspective. Um, says that she's coachable if given the right direction and tools, could be very easily do well, ready to take action. Failure is not an option. What are her concerns? Doesn't have a plan. So some of you guys listening right now, you're going, wait a minute, how did Tim and Julie know that was me? Even though it's probably not literally you, it probably resonates with lots of you. Doesn't have a plan, needs an idea of how to structure her day to reach her goals. Mother of a one-year-old and a five-year-old juggling both being a mom and a real estate agent. Lead generation methods, we talked about that a little bit, what's going on there. Uh, years in real estate, actually only six months. So, you know, way to take action early on. This is fantastic. Congratulations and welcome to our coaching family. So uh, tends to overanalyze what are her goals, wants to make 150 grand in 2016. So this is one of our newest coaching clients, Tim, and I just wanted to point out whether you are freshly licensed or a grizzled veteran, how many of you listening right now would say the same thing, doesn't have a plan, doesn't have any accountability, knows that you can make more. So if you're even curious about coaching, ask us, we'll see what makes sense for you. So that's what I wanted to highlight today, Tim, is that you know, maybe you're just curious about coaching. Talk to us. See how we can help you. Back to you, Tim. Actually, back to you, Julie. You're the one with the notes. Jump in. <laughs> okay, no worries. So I called this Nice, uh, nice attempt at the handoff. Well, you know, I do what I can. So <laughs> I called this call, How to find your, uh, find your Conversational Competence Without Being Fake. Conversational competence. Here's a fact. No skill is more important than your ability to speak competently face-to-face. Just digest that for a second. Your real estate appointments, by and large, are face-to-face. So, so there is no skill more important than your conversational competence. Now, I wrote down that there's four eyes of being addicted to communicating via text, email, and social media. did a lot of research for this podcast, by the way. So this is something that I kind of put together after reading and studying and all that kind of stuff. So what are the four eyes of being addicted to communication via text, email, and social media? Being addicted to that causes you to be conversationally insecure, conversationally incompetent, conversationally impatient, because you're used to typing and texting in little icons and shortened versions of things, and even conversationally irritating. I wonder whether our listeners are feeling like they resonate either personally or whether they know they're being conversationally insecure, incompetent, impatient, and irritating. I think a lot of that is due to text and email, but it's possible to overcome it. So this call is for you if, number one, you've ever been uncomfortable in a conversation with a prospect, a client, a friend, foe, neighbor, significant other, family member, or anyone else. So that should pretty much cover it if you've ever been uncomfortable in a conversation. Number two, if you've ever been perhaps unfriended by someone on Facebook or alienated due to your politics, religion, diet, habits, or other personal reasons that you have posted, talked about, or made clear publicly. This calls for you if number three, you just know you could be a better communicator, conversationalist, prospector, or presenter, or perhaps all of the above. And number four, you know you're leaving money on the table because you avoid speaking with people. Tim, 
have you ever heard of any of this on coaching calls, perhaps, just randomly now and then? <laughs> um, I, I remember, have, uh, right? I'm remembering a coaching client I had probably about 10 years ago, and this guy one-on-one on the phone with me was okay. He just was not – he was very introverted. His previous cu- uh, career had kept him in, in a lab. He basically was mm. essentially isolated from humanity for a bulk of his yeah. whole life. And he was a huge, huge introvert. And so I'm thinking your notes today actually had been perfect for somebody like that because here he was trying to be successful at real estate with one of the fundamental issues being he was actually not even uh, successful at baseline communication. So that's pretty much what we focused on for the first 90 days of our coaching relationship is how to form comfortable conversation patterns without feeling like he's faking Mm -hmm. it. Because his big thing was, being that he was a scientist, he likes to deal with facts. And if I'm, you know, if someone's suggesting to him, as is often the case in real estate training, that you're just supposed to be using, you know, mind tricks like NLP and all this other mm, stuff to basically right. try to manipulate people, you know, and uh-huh. thinking and acting in a certain way, you know, he wouldn't do it. It was out of integrity for him. And so for those of you who are even remotely resembling the guy I just described, you know, make sure you're paying attention. So, Julie, just run right back into your notes because your next points are fantastic. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So some of it is a level of uh, being maybe socially insecure for some people. I'm thinking about a client I have in uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico. Her entire market is full of people like that. So it's not just her. It's every single one of her prospects because they're research-based. The whole employer is like that. So, you know, sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it's the people you're talking to. So point number one, how do you deal with this? How are you going to overcome this conversational competence issue? Number one, listen more than you speak. You speak more so that you can maintain control. Become better at what you do so that you don't use power of conversation as your crutch. Be great at your job and let other people shine. Remember that you have one mouth and two, two ears for a reason. Listen more than you speak. So a great exercise to do, and hopefully coaches are uh, tuned into this, Actually keep track on your next listing presentation. What do you think the percentages of speaking versus listening might be interesting to study or even record, right? So point number two, and I love this point, Tim, because this has just been beaten to death by various entities, drop the whole mirror and match mania. There is zero reason to, quote, learn how to show you're paying attention if you are indeed actually paying attention, right? So why do you spend all this time figuring out how to prove to someone or show by mirroring and matching that you're paying attention? How about just paying attention? So yes, watch your pace and your vernacular, depending on who you're in front of, but don't overdo it. Nothing replaces actually being present. So point number three, write down key points in conversation based on the other person's most important thoughts to them, not necessarily what's important to you. So how do you Julie, deal with this? You, go ahead. Let's, let's, Julie, let's circle on those two points, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to that coaching client I described uh, earlier to you guys, the introverted introvert, the person that would make the most mm-hmm. introverted person you ever met feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. if the guy was so introverted, okay? So if he had followed the traditional sales training path of essentially learning how to mirror and match, learning how to 
basically, you know, use little NLP type, all that stuff. That's the traditional way that most of you guys are being exposed to thinking. He never would have been successful because he, again, aside from the fact that a lot of the, the NLP stuff, along with the personality stuff, we have that as part of our coaching program, but we also make sure you guys understand that, that it's the very definition of soft science. In other words, it's not scientific at all. The original NLP stuff was literally designed by people in Central California during the 60s and 70s with the idea that they were going to study successful communicators and they were going to then try to teach people how to essentially copy those successful communicators, their body styles, their speech patterns, their everything. Okay, That's what, in essence, NLP is. And the DISE stuff, guys, it's just as much voodoo as anything else is. It's interesting. It can help you, but please don't think it's real because it's not. So here's really the essence of what those last two points that Julie just said, and this is really important. When you're speaking with somebody, monitor how much mind energy you're using thinking about what you're going to say next or how much, or basically how urgently you're trying to pivot the conversation to start talking about yourself versus listening to what they're saying and then gauging your comprehension and gauging what you're going to don't think about what you're going to say listen to what they're saying be present with that conversation and then gear your conversation or gear what comes out of your mouth the next thing being a question about something that they just said now you're not doing that to show them that you're listening okay that's sales training bs right you ask them a question to show them that you're listening how about this why don't you really friggin listen opposed to <laughs> fake listening Exactly. Okay. There's an idea. Thank you. So this is what this is the, this is these this is the part of sales trainers that are 100% out of integrity with you guys. This is the reason that when you go to a lot of these seminars, and I know they're all over the country right now, and you hear people say mirror and match, and if they're standing with their hand on their hip, you put your hand on your hip, and a lot of you guys are saying, "No, I'm not going to do that. That's fake." And guess what? You're right. The way that you actually become an effective communicator, the number one thing is when you're with them, I just told you guys, I'll say it again, which Julie's going to criticize me for repeating myself. It's one of the upcoming points, but I'll just suffer her consequences. That's okay. So, you're exempt. So when you, guys, when you guys are with somebody, monitor how much time in your mind, just be like an observer. Pretend Julie and I were standing beside you, and we had access to your thoughts. Scary thought for us more than you, I know, but there you go. So we're listening to what you're thinking about, and when you're talking to somebody, are we going to hear that you're actually listening to what they're saying? You're listening to the connotation. You're listening to the color in their voice. You're listening to everything that they're saying. Are we going to hear in your head that all you're doing is you're just waiting around to say, to basically make the conversation about you, to try to show them that you can relate, to try to tell them your version of the same story? In other words, you're just basically biding your time while they talk Thus, you weren't ever listening. You were just thinking about what you were going to say. You were hearing a single thing that they were saying. You guys get the difference? Do you understand at least in a tiny, 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 tiny way what we're talking about here? Because if you do, what you're doing is you're confronting, going back to a, a, a series of radio shows we had last week or week before, about ego. Because if you can monitor and if you see the fact that 99.9% of all conversations you have with folks, guys, just do this. It will be such an enlightening moment for you. When you're having conversations with anybody, all you're thinking about is what you're going to say next. You're not actually listening to what the person is saying. All you're thinking about is what you're going to say next, how you're going to basically tell a story about what they said. That's not listening. 
that's basically you and your ego wanting to basically dominate. Okay. So well, it's lazy it, too. I mean, it's lazy. If it you is think lazy. that you don't have to listen because you're going to cross your arms when they cross their arms, that that's just lazy. It's it's not going to work for you long term. Uh, so yeah, I love that you stopped on that point because it's. I mean, we could make a whole show just about that. So point number three. Write down key points in conversation based on what's important to them, not necessarily what's important to you. So use phrases like, I wrote down that you said, and it sounds like, right? So that shows that you're paying attention, but we're using it based on what they actually said, not some mumbo-jumbo made-up non-science version of it, okay? So point number four, and this is something to easily correct, starting today on your very next phone call or in-person appointment, Point number four, stop multitasking during all conversations by phone and in person. It's been scientifically proven, and I probably have actually the Scientific American article someplace on this, but it's been scientifically proven that the brain, when attempting to multitask, is massively stressed and totally inefficient at it. There is no such thing as multitasking. They showed that your brain is actually turning on and off different task things in your head. It's not doing things at the same time. It's constantly switching on and off. It's exhausting. It's stressful. It's inefficient. Nothing is more irritating to someone on the phone than hearing you typing an email or someone in person watching you check your text messages or your email. It's disrespectful, so stop doing it. No more well, multitasking Julie, let's make, during conversations. Let's give, them a pra- let's give them a practical example of this. And, guys, when you hear me talking over Julie or Julie talking over me, it's because we actually have a delay uh, on our headsets that you guys don't have. It just sounds like when you guys hear us that we're talking over each other, we don't do that intentionally. Um, so here's an example of what Julie just said. Have you ever noticed, this is the definition of being present, okay? Have you guys ever noticed that when you're reading a book, a book that you really, really like, like, for example, shameless plug, our upcoming book, Harris Rules, which should be coming out late summer. So when you're reading the book, assuming it's a good conversation going back and forth between you and the author, you are present in that book, Right. You're not doing a bunch of other stuff. You're not multitasking. Do you notice how much more engaged you are when you're reading a book you really like? How much more present you are when you're reading? Like, so I get that same feeling when I'm uh, driving. So when I'm driving, I personally like to drive. Uh, that's just something I do. Julie is a, as you guys know, classically trained musician, so she plays you know, piano and flute and piccolo. And, and so the thing that makes those things special is the fact that when we're doing them, we are just doing them, that thing. You're not doing ten other things. Right. You can't read a book at the same time SMS. You can't play the piano at the same time you're watching a movie. Otherwise, you're not going to take in the movie for anything, and you're not going to play for anything. So that's the essence of why really good con- uh, people that have that it factor, and Julia, I'm watching the clock too, but people that have that it factor, people that have that Evervescence, that sort of specialized quality, that thing, the X factor, all these different words that society uh, we use to label people that have the ability just to listen. So when you become a communicator that essentially is fully engaged to the person you're speaking with, okay, when you're not trying to play all these manipulative BS 1960s and 1970s and 1980s BS sales trainer garbage in your head when you the key is just to be present with the folks and remember when you learn to ask questions about what they just said it's going to feel really painful for some of you at first because it's so new matter of fact you might try it 
it might you might feel such a uh, literally you'll feel panic on the inside because it's so foreign to you almost like if we dropped you in the middle of mainland china and you didn't speak any you know cantonese and you don't know what you're supposed to be doing with yourself that's how foreign it's going to feel for many of you okay because you're so used to having this sort of neurotic non-present you know all about mm-hmm. you type conversations when you break away from that and you're actually present with the other person you're talking to the intensity of the conversation is going to be very similar to when you're reading that book or when you're playing that piano or maybe when you're watching a really good movie. See, that's why we do those things, okay? The reason that we do those things, the reason those are considered passions, the reason we, you know, you might have that same experience when you're doing like when you're traveling to a foreign country. The reason that those are such highlights in your brain, you remember them so vividly, is because you were present at that moment. When Julie's playing the piano, she's present. Now, she might be frustrated because she's trying to learn a hard piece, but she's present with that learning exercise. But you have to be focused on that. That's why, you know, it's interesting you said that, Tim, because when we all look back at our most favorite vacations, I mean, how many times do you replay in your head favorite memories from really awesome vacations? Why is that? Because when you're on vacation, you have to be present as a survival technique to get off of the plane in Heathrow, take the train to get to downtown London and find your hotel, right? You're present because you have to be. You're frosty. You're not doing a million things because you're in survival mode. How is it that you remember your most favorite movie? Because you were tuned into just your most favorite movie. So what would happen if you had that same philosophy when you're in front of actual, honest-to-God, real clients, or even with your best friend. You know, it's interesting, Tim, when we talk about vacation stuff, one of the most vivid memories I have that kind of, you know, you go things as a coach, you see things and you absorb them and you never know where they're going to pop up, right? So when we were in Lake Como, Italy, I remember you and I were astonished at, number one, how many people just go out on a walk every evening, every afternoon or evening, And number two, none of them were on their cell phones, even the 20-something crowd. They were just talking to each other and having their gelato. It was noticeable, the difference. So what if you were all as tuned in as you are on vacation or your favorite movie and stopped this crazy multitasking? And it's funny, you mentioned this whole, you know, craziness about having to learn all these uh, sales techniques and stuff that you guys have always heard. Some of you guys feel like you're not successful because you haven't been fake in that way. And I wanted to use this call and probably tomorrow's call, this is going to be a multi-part series, to let you know that that's not the case. It's okay if you don't want to be fake. It's okay if you don't want to learn some stuff and use it and deploy it because it feels flaky to you. Guess what? It probably is flaky. That's why you're not doing it. So protect your own integrity and follow these simple rules that we're giving you so that you can still be yourself and be massively successful in this business. I promise you that your clients and prospects will appreciate that about you. They'll sense that you're real, you're genuine, you're authentic. And isn't that better than trying to fake it till you make it? Does that make sense, Tim? You know, you're, obviously, I actually was thinking when you're talking about Lake Como, one of the first things I remember <laughs> after being on a plane forever and trains and automobiles, so I remember <laughs> when we woke up the next morning looking at the beautiful lake and we went on a walk, I remember oh, all no. the uh, Don't fam- share that the family. Okay. Oh, the, okay. No, no, I won't talk. Yeah, the families <laughs> that were out with the uh, yeah. 
with their kids. And I and you guys, if you've yeah. ever been to Italy, of course this is true with a lot of parts of the world aside from America, but in Italy in particular, a child is like a coveted thing. You think kids are coveted mm-hmm. in the United States? Trust me, nowhere near as much as they are in Italy. In Italy, they have uh, you know boutiques for kids' clothes virtually everywhere. So when we were out, it was like on a, I think it was on a Sunday or a Saturday, mm-hmm. and we were out walking around, literally walking around Lake Como, there would be these entire families, and they'd get together, extended families. This is what they did every weekend, and they would all be, you know, <laughs> essentially huddled around uh, the, the the toddler or the, or the child, and the kids looked like rock stars. And it was so funny because, you know, <laughs> I remember that. we were walking yeah. around, and you don't know what to say, Mama, Mama, Mama. You hear these little oh, kids scream at their Amazing. parents with Italian accents. It's so funny. <laughs> so expressive, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah but, you know, the thing awesome. is that, we use this in the context of being tuned in and being present. Sometimes when you're out of your environment, you notice that more because you're more present, right? So it's kind of coming full circle. Work on this. We're going to continue with some additional rules and points to help you come to terms with the fact that you can be more present, you can listen with more intensity, you can follow some simple rules to have better conversational competence. And in fact, you know, as a sideline, Tim, it's funny, there's several colleges, this is a a fact, there are several colleges right now who are considering adding a course that's actually called conversational competence because they have identified this as a major challenge for the upcoming millennials, their inability to actually have real conversation. That's coming full circle, right, how bad this has gotten, that we might have a whole generation of people that just this is a cultural problem for them. So that kind of highlights (laughs) functionally, conversationally illiterate. illiterate. Exactly. (laughs) And and by the way, guys, the entire coaching program that we offer is designed around asking questions, the listing presentation. Every single thing we show you guys have to do how to do is designed around the uh, what we're the essence of what we're describing to you now. You will find again that it is in stark contrast to most of what is being taught out there in terms of you know you, what sales training and you know these guys that come to your town and they're teaching you all these little techniques. Okay, I put those in quotes. Techniques. You'll find that 99% of that stuff that they're teaching is the exact same stuff that's been out. You know, since the 60s and the 70s, it's never been updated. They just slightly spin it. They change it. You know, it's amazing to me. I remember listening to uh, Anthony Robbins, as many of you guys have been exposed to him. And by the essence of what Anthony Robbins does, and I like Tony Robbins, so don't think I'm criticizing, is NLP. That's what he's teaching. But you see all these people, and there's a couple of them in our industry as well, these real estate trainers, that all they're trying to do is they take Anthony Robbins' stuff and they present it as if it were their own, and they don't even know where it comes from. They're just doing what Tony Robbins does. That's, that is what they do. And they're just essentially showing you guys NLP techniques. And it's confusing, and it's designed to make you guys feel incompetent, and it's made you do all this other stuff. And if you peel it back, if you do your own homework on it, if you actually use your intellect to think about it, you have to ask yourself, does it make sense for me to waste time learning all this stuff, which is basically not even real anyway, or should I just be making things practical? Should I just actually be breaking all this stuff down in my business to the things that actually make sense? The reason that so many people struggle in this industry is because nobody is really cutting through all the BS that's out there right now and telling the truth, not at the level that Julie and I are. 
We have absolutely no sacred cows as far as what we're going to hold out, what we're going to call out, what we're going to point fingers at as being things that are going to stand in the way of you guys becoming successful. I don't believe that people are uh, doing these things, the other speakers and the coaches and whatnot, maliciously. I just think they're doing it out of ignorance. That's the truth. Because I know them, and when I talk to them and I ask them basically why do they say this or why do they do that, they don't have an explanation. They don't know whether or not what they're saying is going to work. They, it doesn't matter. That's not how they think. They're just trying to sell something to you. They're not really taking into consideration the long-term ramifications of what happens with that product that they're trying to sell. If you guys have been in this space for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about and you know what I'm saying is true. So it is up to you to basically be your own best guru. It's up to you to essentially evolve to the point where you can start using and trusting your own intuition and then start questioning some of the things that are being said to you. Guys, listen, here's a simple fact. is To be successful in real estate, it's really not that difficult, but nobody wants to tell you that. When you're willing to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, and then you're willing to keep and you really actively participate in keeping your mindset clear and focused on specifically what you're here to do, which is serve other people. And then when you do that at a high enough level, you will make tons and tons of money. Okay, there's the essence of it. When you keep your mind focused in that zone, when you stay myopic on that specific thought, pretty much everything else you'll realize very quickly is just noise. Give yourself the gift of having clarity. Give yourself the gift of not basically allowing all the other stuff out there, which is static, to adversely affect your outcome. You know, guys, it's not that difficult. Listen, if there's ever anything we can do for you, please feel free to email Julie or I directly, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. And remember, a lot of you guys are, you know, it's scary, but it's true. A lot of you guys still haven't had a coaching call yet with us, so request a free coaching call at FreeCoachingCallsForAgents.com. FreeCoachingCallsForAgents.com. Listen, guys, and you know we know it, we, you know we mean it. If there's ever anything we can be doing for you ever at any time, never take a second. Do not hesitate a moment. Ask for help. Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.